Hello and welcome. This is uh, episode number 10 of Finding Common Ground. My name is Shad Brunson and here on a windy, cold spring day here in Utah and I want to, you know, try to catch everybody up with maybe what's going on here, but we have experienced some spring, which is a good thing. We finally got out of that uh, winter cycle and we're now um, dealing with the after effects, which would be flooding. Uh, I saw in the news today that there's some floods up in Salt Lake City coming out of the canyons and the sandbags are up and we've got some mini rivers coming down streets and um, kind of waiting for, I've actually driven up to the mouth of the canyon here where we have a um, an average sized stream that comes out of the canyon and I've just been going up there every day just to check the water levels and it went from clear and flowing like it normally does to silty and murky and higher and all of the, what do you call them, the overflow ponds or the retention ponds that we have here to, you know, to retain water for the summer, um, they're all full. So it gets to a point where they're going to have to let that water start going down the the, the river uh, further down through the residential areas. And I'm hoping that that does not cause flooding for those families. But it is kind of what it is. We've had a record-breaking winter this year and uh, something that we haven't seen for I think there was one statistic that we hadn't seen for 70 years and then another statistic was uh, back as it uh, related to the the spring of 1983 and uh, the floods massive floods and landslide mudslides that we had uh, back then but anyway so yeah so last couple days have been in the 70s and today's 42 and windy and cold with a mix of rain and snow. And uh, that's the reason I don't particularly, well, I like spring. I just, it's not my favorite. Um, I would say it would be fall, summer, spring, and then winter would be the order of like to dislike. But uh, like I said, you know, a lot of states across the country um, can relate to this, but you know, you've got sunny and warm, and then next thing you know, it's cold and windy. But that's the way it is. Um, so today, I wanted to touch on the where we are as a society and how that correlates to finding common ground with people. And, and I wrote some notes down here. Just, you know, you randomly have some thoughts, and you jot them down and so I wrote down some thoughts here and then I'll actually get into some statistics um, I've pulled up and I have them in front of me here uh, from some different websites some different foundations and studies that have been done and the correlation between mental health and emotional health with families and violence and things like that and I would love to and I know I don't know, maybe you do have these thoughts, but like I do, but you know, you see a, a clip from The View and you see uh, Whoopi Goldberg and, and her crew. And sometimes I sit there and I go, man, I would love to be sitting there right now. I would love to say what's on my mind. 
And I would love to sit in front of the president of the United States and tell him what's on my mind. I would love to sit in front of Congress or the House of Representatives or the governor or whoever. And I would love to be on that show where I can tell them how I feel and, and what I think about things. And I, you know, sometimes we might think that our opinion or our insight is, I don't know, more powerful or insightful than somebody else's. But, you know, I think we've had those I have. I've had those moments where I thought, man, I wish I was sitting there and had an opinion on, on this subject. But what I would probably say in front of the government here in the United States, I would say something like contention never leads to inspired solutions. That's one of the main points that I would make. And there's nothing but contention. And like I've, I've said before, I, it's not that we didn't have contention a hundred years ago in government. We definitely did, but now it's right at your fingertips. You can see it instantly on any device, on any form of social media and news outlets. It's right there and, and it doesn't help the situation. But I would definitely stress that, like I said, that contention never leads to inspired solutions. And, you know, we are the examples. And quite frankly, I don't believe the United States is the example anymore. We might be more of an example of what not to do than we are of, you know, health and prosperity and freedom and stuff like that. I, I don't know where we're at with, with that anymore. And, you know how we treat others really matters and building bridges of understanding. These are, like I said, these are thoughts, bullet points that I've written down, building bridges of understanding, um, contention chases away peace. Um, that is a choice. Contention is a choice. Being peaceful is a choice. Um, let's see here. What else? Um, one person and one interaction at a time, dignified and respectful dialogue. That reminds me of a book that I read, and I've read this book two or three times, actually. But the first time I read it was in college at the University of Utah. And it was Malcolm Gladwell's book called The Tipping Point. And um, truly, it was one of the first books that I've read that I really enjoyed. And, and, and it was part of our course curriculum so I had to I had to read it and I had to report on it and write opinions and stuff like that but I I enjoyed it because it truly exemplified examples of small things making a big difference and I honestly think that where we are at today in society I think it's not the big sweeping changes that a government can make that will make the difference. It's going to be us as individuals and how we treat others that makes a difference. And having a government just implement things or dictate things to us and tell us how it is, um, they can do that, I guess, but it truly does matter right down to 
the interactions that we have with each other, we have with our neighbors, we have with the people at the grocery store, at church, at school, at work, at home. That's what matters. Those are the small things that that um, will make a difference. The examples, uh, you know, maybe a, an example or two in the tipping point. One is the change of, you know, they talk about an old broken down building, or let's just say an abandoned building that's in good shape, and somebody throws a rock through a window. And if we don't, if that window doesn't get fixed, and somebody doesn't care that that happened, somebody else will see that hole in the window or the broken window, and they'll throw a rock through another window. And if somebody doesn't care about those two windows, somebody will, you know, spray paint some graffiti on the side of the building or break something else, break the light out front. And pretty soon you've got a, a tore down old um, building that nobody cares for. And that spreads. And I think how we treat and interact with each other, that spreads as well in a positive way. Let's see. Um, charity is the antidote to contention. I don't know where I got that. It wasn't my brain that thought that one up. But charity is the antidote to contention. Um, and uh, again, like I said, those are just a few thoughts that I have. Now, I want to go back to my thoughts on the shootings that have happened just recently. They're obviously terrible and um, just horrific. And I, you know, I've got some thoughts and feelings on that. But, you know, first of all, what I would say is that the root cause of why these things are happening is the breakdown of the family and the breakdown of society. I don't think it has anything to do with the method of, you know, weapon of choice or anything like that. But, the, you know, you have to realize and understand, and it's hard for my mind to wrap around it, but the people that are committing these acts are also committing suicide. They're going into it. There's two pieces. They're saying, I'm going to commit suicide and I'm going to take some people with me. And I cannot, for the life of me, wrap my mind around that thought process. So when somebody breaks into a school and goes on a rampage or they go into a bank or, you know, the husband shoots and kills the family and then kills himself, I don't, I don't get that. Obviously, there's some serious mental issues with that. Um, but I'm not an expert that can dissect that. I would, I would definitely love to see some studies on it. But in my opinion, and again, this is just my opinion, you know, I was thinking about the, the shooting um, at the Catholic school. And I thought, okay, this is a 28-year-old child, adult, that lives at home, who has gone through um, a gender transition. And I, I think to myself, if, okay... And put it, put myself in their shoes or their shoe, you know, them with me or whatever. I have two children that live outside of the home. They seem to be um, thriving. 
Uh, we check in with them. We talk to them. We see how they're doing. We see them on weekends. We, we call them. We, we speak to them. We text message, whatever. And then I have a child that lives at home. And I don't know how you have children. This, again, this is something I haven't, I can't quite wrap my mind around, but I don't see how you have children and not know what they're doing or how they're feeling. Um, you know, checking their phone. What, what are they up to? What are they viewing? What are they interact? Who are they interacting with? What are they interacting with? Um, how are you feeling socially? How are you doing in school? Um, how are you doing mentally and, you know, like I said, emotionally, um, checking in with them on a regular basis, having dinner together, going out on doing activities, um, giving them hugs, telling them, I love you. Where is that breakdown? And I don't know if that had anything to do with the reason why some of these people do this. But I do hear frequently enough where the parents make a statement and give it to the news or the press and they say, we had no idea. I had no idea my child had purchased seven guns and stored them in my home. I have no idea how that, you know, had no idea they were searching how to murder somebody or how to commit suicide or how to... Um, accomplish a, a mass shooting online like that blows me away when I hear somebody that says I had no idea that that my child was doing that that screams that you had no connection with your child and I'm not judging the families I'm not I'm just saying it from my perspective and looking in on it from my outside view I I just I just can't wrap my mind around it. So I have pulled up some studies and I'm going to just browse through some of this. But this first one is from heritage.org. It's titled how broken families rob children of their chances for future prosperity. And I will say again, I know plenty of people who Family, friends, neighbors who have had broken homes, they've been divorced, they've been remarried, they're single. <coughs> it all presents its own set of challenges. Staying married presents its own set of, set of challenges. But how do families and children react to those situations? I will read this. It's, uh, um, it, was, it was posted... Um, June 11th of 1999, so like 24 years ago. And <clears throat> the author is Patrick Fagan. And he is the former um, Heritage Foundation, uh, let's see, former William H.G. Uh, Fitzgerald Fellow in Family and Culture Issues at the Heritage Foundation. That was his title. It says here, much of the debate ab about the growing gap between rich and poor in America focuses on, on, on the changing job force, the cost of living, and the tax and regulatory structure that hamstrings businesses and employees. 
but analysis of the social science literature demonstrates that the root cause of poverty and income disparity is linked undeniably to the presence or absence of marriage. Broken families earn less and experience lower levels of education achievement. Worse, they pass the prospect of meager incomes and family instability on to their children. Again, I would like to see the correlation of backing into the root cause of one of these cases. Um, cases of, you know, a mass shooting or a murder-suicide to see how that is affected. But I, like I said, again, I don't, I don't think our government wants us to know that because they have their own agenda on things. I'll just leave it at that. Um, let's see, it says, worse, they pass on the prospect of meager incomes and family instability onto their children, ensuring a continuing, if not expanding cycle of economic distress. And obviously this is talking about the economics of things. Simply put, whether or not a child's parents are married and stay married has a massive effect on his or her future prosperity and that of the next generation. Um, <clears throat> and this is obviously associated with, um, you know, broken families and income and poverty and things like that and how that affects um, children. I'm going to move on to this next one. Let's see, which one did I want to? Okay, positive parenting. This is um, from the newsinhealth.gov. And uh, let me see here, when was this posted? It doesn't say. Uh, but it's called positive parenting. And it says building healthy relationships with your kids. And off to the side, there's a, there's a list bullet points that talk about tips for connecting with your kids. And I think, like I said, this goes back to knowing and understanding and being there for our children and how, what effect that has on their social well-being and their growing up and being good citizens and parents and, you know, whatever. It says here, um, catch kids showing good behavior and offer specific praise. Good point. Give children meaningful jobs at home and positive recognition afterward. Don't be overly critical. Instead, help them improve their skills one step at a time. <clears throat> I don't know if this is part of it, but I, I want to um, say that, you know, we watch, we watch a lot of uh, the amazing Dr. Pohl. And um, if you haven't watched Dr. Pohl, P-O-L, uh, he is a, a world known, worldwide known um, veterinarian in Michigan, and he has his own show. I think it's on Discovery Plus, Discovery Channel, but it's been on for years. And um, one of the things that he said on one of the episodes that we were watching the other night is he said that having a pet in the home, whether that's, you know, a dog or a cat or a bird or a sheep or you know, a goat, something like that. It helps children deal with life. It gives them responsibility. It teaches them to love something else. And um, I truly believe that. We've grown up in, in a home. Our kids have grown up in a home with pets. We've had hamsters. We've had birds. We've had um, dogs. And um, Nala is up sleeping on the bed right now. And... Uh, She's a great dog, and, and our children have truly learned the 
a lot of wonderful things from having a pet. And they learn some of the hard things about having a pet as well when one of them dies. Okay. Uh, use kind words, tones, and gestures when giving instructions or making requests. <clears throat> I think that's kind of obvious, and I think a lot of these are kind of obvious, but, you know, don't yell at our children or call them names. Um, says uh, here, spend some time every day in warm, positive, loving interaction with your kids. Look for opportunities to spend time as a family, like taking after-dinner walks or reading books together. And I have no issue with, you know, pulling up a positive movie and sitting down and watching that. It's something that we enjoy together. Um, some of the movies that we watch, um, The Martian is one of my uh, son's favorite movies. Anne of Green Gables is something that my wife and my daughter have enjoyed watching together. Um, we watch um, Seabiscuit. That's a wonderful, you know, you could call it a pet movie. Um some of the others um, trying to think right off the top of my head um, but we watch those positive type movies together that we can that we can enjoy as a family uh, here's another one brainstorm solutions to problems at home or school together so you know what's going on at school what grades are you getting are you struggling let's get together as a family and let's talk through them let's see if we can help each other set rules for yourself for mobile device use and other distractions for instance check your phone after your child check your phone after your child goes to bed um, ask your child's concerns worries goals and ideas and again like I said this is I think that truly is that tipping point solution that we need to look for is checking in with our kids and their well-being Participate in activities that your child enjoys. Help out with and attend their events, games, activities, and performances. Something that I remember as a, as a child, we, we were a very um, athletic family when we were kids. So we, there's four, of, four kids, me and my brother, my two sisters. <clears throat> my parents, my mom worked at the bank. My dad worked at Geneva Steel and still... With all four children playing, uh, sorry, baseball and um, softball, we all played on the high school team. So we had games going all the time. And then there's the city league games and all of this other stuff. We had flag football. We had football games. We had soccer. We had basketball. I never remember a single game that at least one of my parents wasn't there. And truly, honestly, I have said that many, many times to many different people but that was so meaningful in my life to look up in the stands or look down the sideline or look down the first baseline and see one of my parents and sometimes I I don't know how they worked it out but I think one of them would go to one game for two or three innings and then they would swap and you know somebody would go to one game and somebody would race to another uh, we did that all the time and, and I don't know how they did it, but they did. Um, I was involved in a cappella in high school, and I remember my parents being there. Um, but I, I, I think that is super powerful. Um, I'm going to go through a couple other things here. Building bonds, um, being available, all that is, is super important and true. 
Um, being available for your kids, I think, is one of the most powerful things that we can have. We hear about and we see and we've probably experienced it ourselves where we're in the middle of a, a show, we're on a phone or a conversation with somebody, we don't want to be bothered and we shoo away our kids and we say, hey, I'll talk to you later. And and that happens. It, I, but I'm not saying that it's extremely damaging. I just think that we need to be aware of it so that we can you know, rectify it with our kids and that they feel like they're not being rejected or ignored. Um, let's see. It says here, when parents po engage posit positively with their children, teaching them the behaviors and skills they need to cope with the world, children learn to follow rules and regulate their own feelings. Um, it says, uh, as parents, we try really hard to protect our kids from the experience, from the experience of bad things. But if you're, if you protect them all, sorry, but if you protect them all the time and they are not in situations where they deal with difficult or adverse circumstances, they aren't able to develop healthy coping skills. So I guess that's what that's saying is that we can't be helicopter parents. We can't be there and jerk them out of any situation that they run into. We do have to let them go through hard or hard things. And I, I remember, you know, I think it's, it's very common for um, first-time parents to be what, what we've called hover parents or helicopter parents to the first time that they have an issue with um, a bully at school or, you know, your child's being bullied or teased or there's an issue with friends in the neighborhood and somebody gets rejected and, and hurt that we want to, you know, run right out out the door and run down the street and yell at the kids or have a serious conversation with the parents. Um, those things are necessary in certain times, but a lot of times the kids will just work them out themselves. If we handle everything for them, they will not have those healthy coping skills like it says here. Another important topic here is meeting needs. We all know the basic needs of food, shelter, warmth, a home, but there's other things that they need. They need things mentally. They need things emotionally. They need things socially. And they need to have that stability that, that helps them through, um, through life and challenging times. Well, I think that's pretty good, a pretty good overview of what I wanted to cover today. And I just, <clears throat> I just don't know how far down the rabbit hole we are to where there's a point of no return. I don't know where we get. I On one of the other episodes, I think it was eight, eight with Alex, um, um, where I was talking to him and we wondered, you know, are we too far gone? And I don't, I don't think we're too far gone in certain things, but I think we're too far gone in other things. But like I said, you know, for the few people that are listening to this podcast and this episode, hopefully it helped. Hopefully it was something that mattered and that you can pass along to somebody else. Something that I can pass along to you and you can pass along to somebody else that, that grows and that makes a difference over time. And um, things that you pass along to me matter and I appreciate it. So again, a good solid 28 minutes or so. Um, we'll keep plugging away and, uh, we'll, uh, definitely, um, get another one done here in the next week. 
And uh, again, I'm glad that you're here, glad that you've listened, and I appreciate the, the support, and we'll talk to you next time. Thank you.